morning, church. Good morning to those who are online. Hey, I'm going to take a moment. No, John, you stand up, okay? Because I want to point out John Oaks, who's wearing the bill or the Pittsburgh jersey over there and waving the terrible towel, okay? All right, now you can sit down, John, okay. <laughs> John is a great guy, and, uh, and I'm really, you know, I I'm thrilled that we're doing this fundraiser, and I hope that you'll think about uh, taking advantage of that. It's a wonderful opportunity to support a really good cause. Well, I'm Pastor Vern, and we are wrapping up our series, Things We Don't Talk About in Church, and yet we're talking about them, and, uh, and uh, we're going to finish that today. Next weekend is a special weekend. We got Carol McLeod here, as you heard. She's going to be here to lead the women's conference, and it's still uh, you can still sign up for that, ladies, Friday and Saturday, and then she'll be preaching on Saturday night and Sunday. So uh, I know she'll bring us a really good and powerful message next weekend, and hope you can be here for that. Uh, and then we'll start a new series uh, after that. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're just going to have to come and find out. Um, but you know what? I want to start today by, by um, talking about this. We are, uh, if, you go, if you Google longest war on earth, do you know what you'll come up with? I didn't. I, I had to Google it <laughs> to find out. Longest war on earth was the Reconquista. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, uh, Rosalina is here somewhere. She'll correct me later. Uh, Reconquista. It was a war that was fought between Spain and Portugal for uh, to reclaim uh, the Iberian Peninsula from the Moors. And they fought that war from 711 A.D. until 1492 A.D. Over 700 years, they were at war. And you know what? If you Google that and that's what you get, it's wrong. That's not the longest war that's been waged. The longest war that has been waged is the war that is happening all around us, which we are mostly oblivious to, I think, most of the time. It's the war between Satan and what God is accomplishing, and it's been uh, going on for thousands of years. It will come to an end someday, but it is happening. It's happening right now, and, uh, and we are involved in it. And we're going to talk about not so much spiritual warfare today as the participants in the war. We're going to talk about Satan and demons and angels. We're going to uh, talk about those things today. Uh, but I want you to be very aware that this is a real war. It's really happening. And I think it wasn't too long ago I shared this passage from uh, 2 Kings. I'm just going to share it again uh, to get us started here. In 2 Kings, there's this wonderful story about a prophet named Elisha and his servant. And, uh, and Elisha's in trouble because he has been getting word from God about what the king of Aram wants to do against the Israelites and where he wants to bring his troops. And Elisha Elisha has been warning the, the Israelite king about that, and so the king of Aram has been thwarted. Every time he brings his troops in, the Israelites are somewhere else. And so the king of Aram decides, we got to take out Elisha. That's what we got to do. And he goes after Elisha with a lot of his troops, and uh, he, Elisha gets up in the morning with his servant. His servant sees all these foreign, these enemy troops out there come to get them, and uh, he's scared. And Elisha says to him, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, because there are more with us than are, are with them. And the servant is kind of, what are you talking about? And Elisha prays, and he asks God to remove the veil uh, that separates our world from the spiritual world so that Elisha's servant can see that there are thousands and thousands of, of angels surrounding them, ready to do battle for them. Uh, it's a great story. I encourage you to read it sometime. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6. But that's an indication of this spiritual warfare, this spiritual war that is taking place in the heavenly realms, the Bible calls it, 
and which Satan and the demons and the angels and us are all a part of. Um, in in uh, Daniel chapter 10, just to give you another indication or another example of this, in Daniel chapter 10, uh, Daniel is in exile in Babylon, and, uh, and he has been praying. For three weeks, he's been praying. He's been fasting. It says he's been mourning. Uh, he's praying and mourning because of the situation that Israel is in, being in exile. And uh, he's asking God for some word, some kind of encouragement uh, for him. He's out there by the Tigris River. And, uh, and all of a sudden, he has a vision of this really spectacular man before him. And uh, he has some people with him who are so frightened of this that they fade away and leave. Uh, but Daniel uh, remains, and this being, this uh, spectacular being that is in front of him, says this to him in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. He says, Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. And he goes on to give Daniel this very uh, encouraging, enlightening message about what's going to happen uh, in the future. But here's what I want you to, to hear from that. I want you to hear that, that this king of Persia isn't a human being, okay? He is a, a, a demon, actually, one of Satan's messengers who got in the way of one of God's angels coming to Daniel uh, to deliver the message. And so uh, this, these two angels, the angel and a demon, are, are kind of duking it out in the heavenly realms, and, and the angel is not succeeding until Michael, who is known as an archangel, he's one of two angels that are uh, uh, named in the Bible. The other one is Gabriel, okay? Uh, there's Michael and there's Gabriel. They are God's angels. They're named. Uh, and then there are maybe one or two uh, demon angels or Satan and his angels uh, named as well. They're the only angels named in the Bible. There's Michael and Gabriel, and then there's Satan, and then the fourth one, some people think is Satan, and some people think it's a different uh, demon, Apollyon or Abaddon, he's named in the, in the book of Revelation. Anyway, Michael, this archangel, comes to the, to the help of God's messenger angel, who is unable to get to Daniel because he's engaged in this warfare. Um, and uh, until Michael helps him to overcome that demon angel, and then the messenger can come and complete his mission to Daniel. So this is the, this is the kind of thing that's happening in the heavenly realms, the kind of thing that's happening when we talk about spiritual warfare. It's not just what we are going through, but it's what God's uh, beings, these spiritual beings are, are involved in as well. So that's what we're going to talk about today, Satan and angels and demons. But I want you to remember this as we get started. These are all created beings. They are all spiritual beings, but they are created beings. They are not on a par with God. This isn't a, a war that, that God and Satan are duking out, and, and when they're in the ring, and we're hoping that God is stronger and will someday succeed. That's not the idea. This war has already been settled, okay? This war is already done. The outcome is already known. Satan is going to lose. God is the only one who is omnipotent with all 
all the power, omniscient with all the knowledge, and omnipresent, able to be everywhere at one time. Satan and demons and angels, they are created beings, and they are not omnipotent, they're not omniscient, and they're not omnipotent. Um, so remember that as we go through. In Colossians 1.16, for example, it says, For in him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And then just to, to back that up a little bit more, in Psalm 148, verses 2 and 5, it says, Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created. So God creates these spiritual beings. The question is why, right? I mean, we might ask that, right? Why did God create all these spiritual beings? God doesn't need them. Well, God doesn't need us either. You recognize that, right? If you ever think God needs me to do the job that I'm doing, he doesn't need me at all. God could accomplish what he wants to accomplish without me, without you, without angels, without demons. But God chooses to create uh, in order to fulfill his purposes the way that he wants to, Okay. Uh, and so in the Bible, in Psalm 82, for example, we read about the divine assembly or the divine council, and some versions of the Bible is called the divine council. These are the spiritual beings that, that surround God, that God uses as messengers and warriors and such to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. He doesn't have to use them, but he chooses to. It's really kind of uh, dignifying, right, that God would create us and then allow us a role to play, and these spiritual beings a role to play in the things that God wants to do. Now, if this is all too much to believe, I mean, if, if you're sitting there, you say, I, I just cannot believe in Satan, you know, I just can't get around that, or demons, I just can't buy that. Well, this is my main point. Whether we choose to believe in them or not, Jesus teaches that they're real, and we shouldn't ignore that reality. Okay, that's the main point. It, the, Jesus teaches us this is all very, very real. And we'll see that in a second. C.S. Lewis uh, made a, a, a statement in a book, The Screwtape Letters, that has been quoted thousands, probably more than thousands of times, uh, about this subject. He said, we make two mistakes. One is we disregard Satan and demons and all of that. We just dismiss them out of hand. We don't think anything about them at all. The other mistake that we make is we think about them way too much. So we're trying to find that, that happy, healthy balance in there somewhere where we're aware of this reality, but we don't let it destroy us or, or you know, get in the way of what God has called us to do. So let me read some uh, verses from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, uh, to, to bring out what Jesus says about all of this. Matthew 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So Jesus is using a story, it's a parable, but parables are stories that communicate truth. Uh, but they communicate it in a way that might be a little easier for us to hear it. So uh, Jesus is telling this parable to his followers, and then we go on now picking it up in verse 36 of that chapter. 
It says, then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So in his explanation, Jesus makes a few things very plain. One, he is come into this world. When he refers to the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. He's come into the world, the field, to fill it with good people, people who are following him, who put their faith and trust in him, who are God's people, people who belong to God's kingdom. But there's also an enemy in the world, and the enemy, the evil one, is trying to pull people to his side, away from God's side, to his side, uh, and fill the world with people who follow him. And someday, Jesus' angels, notice he calls them his angels, Jesus' angels will come, and there will be a harvesting. In other words, there will be a, a time when judgment will come, and those who have aligned themselves with Satan and his ways will be uh, removed and will be condemned to hell, and the remainder those who are with God uh, will enjoy the fruits of living in God's kingdom. And he says, listen, if you have ears, uh, listen to this, right? Pay attention to this. Take it to heart and think about it. So there's three truths I want to bring out about this subject uh, according to the Bible. And the first truth is this. If we believe in Jesus, then we must also believe in Satan, angels, and demons. We have to. Um, Jesus clearly believed in them. We know that through this story he tells, but we also know it in other ways, right? We know that he faced temptations from Satan in the wilderness. We know that after that trial, after those 40 days of facing those temptations, he was ministered to, the Bible says, by angels. He spoke to demons repeatedly and cast them out of people. I think those were often real demons, okay? Uh, he warned his followers about Satan's desire to attack them, and he prayed for their protection against the evil one. And he taught us a prayer that includes the line, deliver us from the evil one. See, Jesus clearly believed in all of this. And if we deny the reality of it, we're really saying that Jesus didn't know what he was talking about, or he was making this stuff up, or he was trying to mislead us in some way. We can't have Jesus and not have this spiritual world. I say this, I repeat this point because I have read that 60% that of the people in our culture don't believe there is such a thing as Satan, okay, or demons, that kind of thing. And what I'm telling you is you can't have Jesus and not have that as well. But Jesus doesn't allow us that. Let's talk about angels for a moment. Angels, like I said, are created beings, and they're created why? Well, the first reason they're created is the reason everything is created is to bring glory to God, all right? Listen to these words from Revelation chapter 5. John is having this vision. He says, I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. 
The first reason angels were created, spiritual beings were created, was to bring glory to God, to bring worship to God, to praise God. They're not to be worshipped, right? We, don't, we should not make that mistake of worshipping these angels or these, spiritually, uh, these created spiritual beings. John made that mistake later on in Revelation. It says that John was so overwhelmed, he fell down before an angel and began to worship him. And the angel said to him, don't do it. Get up. You worship only God. Don't worship me. So we shouldn't make that mistake. So angels were created to worship God, but they're also created to serve us. In Hebrews, it says just that, that angels were created to serve human beings. As such, sometimes they appear in human form. We see that throughout the Bible. That's why Hebrews also says when you're, uh, when you're showing hospitality to somebody, make sure you do that well, because you might be entertaining an angel and not even know it. Angels bring news. The word angel means messenger. So angels, one of their primary functions is to bring messages to us from God, like they did for Daniel, like they did, like Gabriel did for Mary and Zechariah. Sometimes they're sent to minister to people. Another wonderful story uh, in 1 Kings this time, chapter 19, when the prophet Elijah was spent after doing spiritual battle himself, uh, and he was exhausted and he was depressed uh, and wanted nothing else except for God to take his life and let him leave this world. Uh, and, uh, and God sent an angel to him. And this is one of the things I love, one of those details in the Bible that I just love reading, because Deb likes to bake bread. Anybody like the smell of baked bread, fresh baked bread in your house, right? Right? You can get candles like that, right? I mean, it's wonderful. Well, Deb likes to bake bread. Uh, well, here's Elijah. He is, he is worn out, and he's, uh, he's taken a nap, uh, and an angel comes and says, get up and eat, and there's fresh bread there for him to eat. I think that's wonderful, okay? So sometimes angels come to minister to human beings. Sometimes they come to carry out God's judgment against wicked human beings. So King Herod, the time of Jesus, was a very wicked man. He, his, for him, murder was kind of the, the norm of the day, uh, and God said he was going to be called to judgment on that, and he was, and God sent an angel to execute that judgment against Herod. We read about that in Acts chapter 12. Also in Acts chapter 12, we read another function of angels, and that is that they can come to guard or protect people. Okay, so in Acts 12, there's a story of Peter who's in jail for preaching the gospel, and an angel comes to him and, and, uh, and shows him the way out of jail, okay? And, uh, and, and so uh, angels are, are warriors, angels are messengers, angels can be guardians and protectors as well. In Psalm 91:11, it says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. That raises a question, do we have guardian angels, right? Do each of us have a personal guardian angel? And the answer the Bible gives is maybe, okay? In other words, possibly, um, but it's not absolutely clear, okay? So uh, if it helps you to believe that you have a guardian angel, I, I guess that's okay because it's possible, um, but the Bible doesn't tell us that exactly. Now, demons are just angels that have fallen away from God. They have fallen, they've rebelled against God, and their leader is, of course, Satan, all right, who goes by many, many names, the tempter, the slanderer, the adversary, the deceiver, the devil, the accuser, Beelzebul. There's other names that Satan goes by. But at some point between 
uh, Genesis 1 and Genesis 3. Nobody's quite sure when, but sometime between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, Satan, who was created as a good angel, rebelled against God. Ezekiel 28 says he rebelled because of his own pride. He, wanted, he didn't like all this attention and glory that God was getting. He wanted to take God's place and get the glory for himself. He rebelled against God. And uh, we know that happened before Genesis 3 because that's when he came to tempt Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He was cast out of God's court, and he's allowed to roam the earth. And that's another point where you might ask why. Why would God allow Satan to roam the earth and create the havoc that he does and bring the evil that he does to the earth? And we don't have a great answer to that. We just know that this is part of God's plan, and God has his reasons, and we trust that he's doing what is best. Jesus calls him the prince of this world in John chapter 12. And his, he's going after humanity because humanity is one of those things God created to bring glory to himself, right? That God uh, very much wants relationship with us, and Satan can't stand that. He can't stand that we would give glory to God and not to him. So he goes after humanity. God allows him to operate for now, but he's on a leash. He's on God's leash, and someday God is going to eternally condemn him, according to Revelation 20. If we belong to Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear Satan. We don't have to be afraid of him, right? 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The he who is in you is referring to the Holy Spirit that we have when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. The he who is in the world refers to Satan and his, his evil powers. So we don't have to fear him because greater is the one who... The Holy Spirit in us is not going to share a room with Satan. So we don't have to fear Satan. We don't have to fear demon possession, okay? You know, that was something we read about in the Bible, and, and, and I believe, and others believe that that still can happen, but not to Christians, not to people, people who've given their life to Jesus Christ. However, Satan or his demons can harass us, right? They can tempt us. They can, they can encourage us to turn away from God. And uh, we'll see how Satan does that here in just a second. But one thing I want you to notice is that if you read through the Bible, you'll see that in the New Testament, when Jesus comes to the earth, all of this activity ramps up significantly. That we read about Satan and we read about angels and demons in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, all of it, it just becomes much more pronounced. And you might say, well, why is that? And I think the obvious answer is because Jesus came. Jesus came. In 1 John 3, verse 8, it says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And Satan knows that. And so he gets angrier. And when he gets angrier, he gets more active. And he tries harder to pull people away from God and to his own side. Maybe he knows his time is getting short with Jesus coming. Graham Cole wrote a book called Against the Darkness. He talks about all of these things. And I, I pulled this quote from his book. He said, when the light of the world came, the darkness rose up against him. And I think that's exactly what happened. You know, when Jesus came to the earth, right, when he was born, Satan did everything he could to destroy him and to stop him, right? What was the first thing? Well, the first thing might be when King Herod sent his soldiers to Bethlehem to kill all of the babies two years old and under, right? Hoping to kill the promised Messiah, Jesus. However, an angel had spoken to Joseph, Jesus' stepfather, and told him, take Jesus and the family and go to Egypt where you'll be safe. And that's what they did. 
When Jesus began his ministry at the age of 30, first thing that happened was he went out into the, well, after he was baptized, he went out into the wilderness to be tempted, right? To be tried, to be tested. Adam and Eve had failed their test. Jesus passed these tests, this temptation, uh, but Satan again was trying to pull Jesus away from his mission, the reason he had come to the earth. Satan tried to create dissension among Jesus' followers. He still tries to do that. He tries to disrupt and end the church and, and destroy the church by creating dissension among the followers of Jesus. He tried to do that then uh, by getting the followers of Jesus to argue about who was the greatest in the kingdom, right? Who was going to get the most glory for themselves? You know that he succeeded in pulling one of them away, right? You read the story of Judas. And the Bible says very clearly that Satan entered into Judas, and then Judas betrayed Jesus And Satan probably thought that he had finally beaten Jesus when Jesus went and died on the cross. But what the Bible tells us is that that was actually uh, the way Satan was defeated when, when Jesus died on the cross. See, the truth is, the second truth, Satan's primary goal is to destroy God's kingdom, and his primary tactic is to sow lies that cast doubt, create division, and cause destruction. Satan lies and he wants to destroy us through lies. But when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus took away some of the mo most important, uh, powerful weapons that Satan has, right? One was Jesus paid for our sin. Satan can no longer use sin against us if we are in Christ, right? Because our sins are forgiven. Satan can't, Satan can't get to us through our sin if we remember that Jesus has died for our sins and our sins are completely forgiven. When Jesus rose from the dead, he took away the power that Satan has to use the fear of death against us. The fear of death drives a lot of people to do things that they wouldn't do otherwise, right? Whether they're conscious of it or not. I mean, you only live once, right? If you only live once, then get everything you can out of this world, and it doesn't matter what it costs other people as long as you're happy, right? Because this is all you get. Well, if that's true, and Satan would love for us to believe that that's true, right? It will lead us usually away from God, not towards God. So. On the cross and through the resurrection, uh, Jesus defeated Satan in some of the most powerful ways that Satan has to get at us. But I said that Satan uh, wants to use this primary tactic of sowing lies. By sowing lies, he does three things. He creates doubt in us. He causes division among us. And he ultimately destroys us. And this is the tactic Satan has been using from the beginning, right? You know this in the story of Eden. What did he do? He lied to Eve, and he created doubt in her mind about the goodness of God. Does God really care about you? Does he really want you happy? Is he really on your side? And once he got the doubt in there, he was able to create the, the, you know, the, the, the circumstances where Adam and Eve both sinned against God, disobeyed God. That created division between them and God, and it also created division between each other because now they're turning on each other when they're confronted with their sin, right? Spouses, be very careful about how Satan wants to turn you against your spouse. Be very careful about how he can get into you and create doubt in your relationship and turn you against one another because he would love to divide you as husband and wife. He'd love to divide families. He would love, as I say, to divide churches, okay? If he can get in and cause division among us, he has got us well on the way to destroying those relationships. And in the process of destroying those relationships, he'll also destroy our relationship with God. 
He is a liar. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 44, talking to some religious authorities he was confronting, Jesus said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I think maybe this is why God so hates dishonesty and lying. And he does. In Proverbs 12, 22, it says, The Lord detests lying lips. In Psalm 101, 7, No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. And in Revelation 21, 8, it says, Unrepentant liars won't be in heaven. See, God detests dishonesty and lying. I think partly because this is Satan's primary tactic against him. Okay, but also because of what destruction and havoc it causes among us. You know this, right? If you've ever been in a relationship with somebody and you caught them in a lie, it immediately causes you to wonder if you can trust them about anything, right? And getting back that trust can be very, very difficult. Well, Satan wants to do that. He wants to lie to us so that we doubt God, we doubt each other, we doubt God's goodness, we doubt God's love for us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We have to watch out for Satan's lies. Third truth, the truth is our best response to spiritual attacks is the truth of what God has said. It's the truth of what God has said. If we know God's word, we will be much better protected against the attacks of Satan or his demons. This is exactly how Jesus defeated Satan in the wilderness in those temptations. He didn't argue with him. He didn't, all he did was quote scripture back to him because he knew the truth of God's word. He was able to give it back to Satan and Satan had no response to that. If you read those stories, Satan, there was nothing Satan could do. All he could do was try another tactic, and when Jesus brought the word of God to him again, he was done. He had no response, and, and this is what we need to do as well. In John 17, uh, Jesus is praying for his followers, then and, and us, and he says to the Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They don't belong to this world any more than I do. Make them whole by your truth, holy, excuse me, by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. There's two things that, that Jesus is praying that the Father will do for the followers, his followers. One, make them holy by, their, by the truth. You see, if we live holy, righteous lives, Again, that takes power away from Satan. Satan loves to use guilt and shame uh, against us in our relationship with God and each other. So we got to take that away from him. And that's what Jesus is praying. Make them holy by your truth. And then secondly, teach them your word, which is true. Teach them your word. Get that word. We have to be reading our Bibles. We have to be reading Scripture. We have to be meditating on Scripture. We have to get the Word of God deeply planted within us. I want to share a personal story, and with a caveat, I don't know exactly what happened. I'm just going to tell you what happened, and uh, and you can decide. I know what I believe. A few weeks ago, a number of weeks ago now, Deb was away for a week, and the first night she was away. 
Um, I was feeling, I mean, we're not, we're rarely apart, so that was uncomfortable. Um, but I was also just kind of stirred up and anxious because I was preparing a message and I was nervous about it and, I, and it was getting, I was thinking about it a lot and it was just on my mind a lot. So I went to bed that night and, and I didn't sleep well. I was waking up every hour or so, I was stirring, I was just very, very restless. Well, the last time I woke up, before, before I got up and out of bed, I had this dream. And it was a dream about a couple that I've known for decades um, they're part of our church, uh, and they're wonderful people. And, and I've had great relationship with this couple forever, uh, long before we, either of us were part of Northgate. I have this dream, and in the dream, the husband comes to me and he says, come on over here, my wife has something that she wants to share with you. So I, I happily walk over to where uh, his wife is, and, and she pulls out a piece of paper. This sweet woman who has always, always, always told me encouraging things, positive things, affirming things, always. She pulls out a piece of paper, and it's got five of my worst sins on it. And I was like floored, right? I was just, wow. And I felt so attacked in that moment. And I woke up from this dream and I was shaking. I was just shaking. Now you make of that what you will, but I have decided that I experienced a spiritual attack. I don't know how to explain it otherwise. This woman would never do that. He would never do that, knowing what she was gonna do. And there it was. And I wanna tell you, spiritual attacks are real. They're real, they happen. And I believe that was one that happened to me. Now, the next night, I was nervous about going to bed, you know? It's like, I don't want to go to bed and sleep and dream, you know? So I prayed. I just prayed. I said, Lord, I really need a good night's sleep tonight. And, and I just pray, keep Satan and his demons away from me and let me sleep sound. And, and I did. I slept soundly that night. So again, I'll let you make what you want to of that, but I know what I believe, and I believe that Satan and his demons are real, and if they can get to us and try to make us anxious or scared or, or doubt God or turn away from him in any way, um, they will, but we don't have to let them, right? Remember that, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. This is, and I'll close with this quote from Gregory Boyd. And this is how Gregory Boyd says we should live in this world. We're to live with a singular mission of advancing God's kingdom by the unique way we live, the self-sacrificial way we love, the humble way we serve, and the power we demonstrate against oppressive forces. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you that uh, you have not left us alone in this world to deal with all of that on our own. Um, we thank you, first of all, that through the cross, our sins are forgiven, and, and we don't have to, to let our sin, our shame, our guilt um, be used by Satan or anybody uh, to tell us something that we're not. We know who we are. We are saved and forgiven through Jesus Christ, and we belong to you. We're your children. So thank you for that. And thank you, Lord, for the promise of the resurrection, that, that, that this life is not all there is, but we have so much more to look forward to. Thank you for that. And thank you for the Holy Spirit, because it's by the Spirit's power that we will stand up against these oppressive forces, and we will resist as you tell us to, and, and we will continue to bring your goodness and your love and your grace into this world. It's only by your Spirit we can do that. But we thank you that you give us the Spirit. And Lord, we pray, um, make us strong in this area. Give us your strength so that we can continue to do your work, your way. And we ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen. So the takeaway today is another truth. The truth is that if we are one with Jesus, we will share in his victory over the agents of darkness. That is a promise from the Bible. Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So, so don't leave scared. <laughs> leave confident that God is with you. And because you're with him, you will have victory over whatever comes against you through the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of God the Father, and the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Have a good week. Go Bills against those Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs>